Two. It rained the day they brought us the firman, and it went on to rain straight through the week, and the week after that, freezing rain, the kind that would have been snow if it had been five degrees colder. I remember watching the dropsters' frantic paths down the length of the school bus window. If I had been back at home inside one of my parents' cars, I would have followed the drops swerving routes across the cold glass at my fingertips. Now my hands were tied behind my back, and the men in the black uniforms had packed four of us to a seat. There was barely room to breathe. The heat from a hundred odd bodies fogged the bus windows, and it acted like a screen to the outside world. Later, the windows of the bright yellow buses they used to bring kids in would be smeared with black paint. They just hadn't thought of it yet. I was closest to the window on the five-hour drive, so I could make out slivers of the passing landscape whenever the rain let up for a bit. It all looked exactly the same to me. Green farms, thick expanses of trees. We could have still been in Virginia, for all I knew. The girl sitting next to me? The one that would later be classified blue seemed to recognize a sign at one point because she leaned over at me to get a better look. She looked a little familiar to me, like I had seen her face from around my, my town or she was from the next one over. I think all the kids with me were from Virginia, but there was no way to be sure because there was only one big rule, and that was silence. After they had picked me up from my house the day before, they kept me, along with the rest of the kids, in some kind of warehouse overnight. The room was washed in a natural brightness. They sat us in a cluster on, on the dirty cement floor and pointed three floodlights towards us. We weren't allowed to sleep. My eyes were watering so badly from the dust that I couldn't see the clammy, pale faces around me let alone the faces of the soldiers who stood just beyond the ring of lights, watching. In some weird way, they ceased to be whole men and women. In the gray haze of half-sleep, I processed them in small, terrifying pieces. The gasoline reek of shoe polish, the creak of stiff leather, the twist of disgust on their lips, the dip of a boot as it dug into my side, forcing me back awake. The next morning, the drive was completely silent, except for the soldiers' radios and the kids that were crying towards the back of the bus. The kid sitting at the other end of our seat wet his pants, but he wasn't allowed to tell that to the red-haired PSF standing beside him. She had slapped him when he complained he hadn't eaten anything all day. I flexed my bare feet according against the ground, trying to keep my legs still. Hunger was making my head feel funny too, bubbling up every once in a while to overwhelm even the spikes of terror shooting through me. It was hard to focus and harder to sit still. I felt like I was shrinking, trying to fade back into the seat and disappear completely. My hands were starting to lose feeling after being bound in the same position for so long. Trying to stretch the plastic band, they tightened around them, 
did nothing but force it to cut deeper into the soft skin there. The ASI's special forces, that's what the driver of the bus had called himself and the others when they collected us from the warehouse. You ought to come with us on authority of the PSI's special forces commander, Joseph Trailer. He held up a paper to prove it, so I guess it was true? I'd been taught not to argue with adults anyway. The bus took a deep dip as it pulled off the narrow road and onto a smaller dirt one. The new vibrations woke up whoever had been lucky or exhausted enough to fall asleep. They also sent the black uniforms into action. The men and women stood straighter and their attention snapped towards the windshield. I saw the towering fence first. The darkening grey sky cast everything in a moody deep blue, but not the fence. It was glowing silver as the wind whistled through its open pockets. Just below my window were dozens of men and women in full uniform escorting the bus in a brisk jog. The PSF in the control booth at the gate stood and saluted the driver as he navigated past them. The bus lurched to a stop and we were all forced to stay deathly still as the camp gate slid shut behind us. The locks cracked through the silence like thunder as they came together again. We were not the first bus through. That had come a year, that had come a year before. We were not the back. We were not the first bus through. That had come a year before. We were not the last bus either. That would come in three more years when the camp's occupancy maxed out. There was a single breath of stillness before a soldier in a black rain poncho rapped on the bus door. The driver reached over and pulled the leather, lever and ended anyone's hope that this was a short pit stop. The PSF was an enormous man, the kind you'd expect to play an evil giant in a movie, or a villain in a cartoon. He kept his hood up, masking his face hair and anything that would have let me recognize him later. I guess it didn't matter. He wasn't speaking for himself, he was speaking for the camp. You will stand and exit the bus in an orderly fashion. He yelled. Uh, the driver tried to hand him the microphone, but the soldier knocked it away with his hand. You will be divided into groups of ten, and you will be brought in for testing. Do not try to run, do not speak, and do not do anything other than what is asked of you. Failure to follow these instructions will be met with punishment. Uh, Tanner was one of the younger kids on the bus, though there were certainly a few kids younger. Most seemed to be 12, even 13. The hate and mistrust burning in the soldiers' eyes might have shrunken my spine, but it only sparked rebellion in the older kids. Go screw yourself, someone yelled from the back of the bus. We all turned at once, just in time to see the PSF with the flaming red hair launch the butt of her rifle into the teenage boy's mouth. He let out a shriek of pain and surprise as the soldier did it again, and I saw a faint spray of blood burst through his, from his mouth when he took his next angry breath. With his hands behind his back, there was no way he could block the attack. He just had to take it. 
They began moving kids off the bus, one seat of four at a time. But I was still watching that kid. The way he seemed to cloud the air around him with silent, toxic fury. And I don't know if he felt me staring or what, but the boy turned around and met my gaze. He nodded at me like an encouragement. And when he smiled, it was around a mouthful of bloody teeth. <laughs> I felt myself being hauled up and out of my seat, and almost before I realized what was happening, I was slipping down the wet bus steps and tumbling into the pouring rain. A different PSF lifted me off my knees and guided me in the direction of two other girls about my age. Their clothes clung to them like old skin, translucent and drooping. There were nearly 20 PSFs on the ground, swarming the neat, small lines of kids. My feet had been completely swallowed by the mud, and I was shivering in my pajamas, but no one took notice. And no one came up to cut the plastic binding our hands, and we waited silently, tongues clamped between our teeth. I looked up to the clouds, turning my face to the pounding rain. It looked like the sky was falling, piece by piece. The last groups of four were being lifted off the bus and dropped onto the ground including the boy with a broken face. He was the last one off, just behind a tall blonde girl with a blank stare. I could barely make them out through the sheet of rain in the foggy bus windows. But I was sure I saw the boy lean forward and whisper something into the girl's ear, just as she took the first step off the bus. She nodded, a quick jerk of her chin. The second her shoes touched the mud, she bolted to the right ducking around the nearest PSF's hands. One of the PSF's barked out a terrifying STOP! But she kept running, straight for the gates. With everyone's attention turned towards her, no one thought to look back at the boy still on the bus. No one but me. He came slinking down the steps, the front of his white hooded sweatshirt stained with his own blood. The same PSF who had hit him before was now helping him down to the ground, as she had done for the rest of us. I watched her fingers close. I watched him turn and say something to her, his face a mask of perfect calm. I watched the PSF let go of his arm, take her gun out of its holster, and without a word, without even blinking, stick the barrel inside of her mouth and pull the trigger. I don't know if I screamed aloud or if the strangled sound had come from the woman walking up to what she waking up to what she was doing. Two seconds too late to stop it. The image of her face, her slack jaw, her eyes bulging out of her skull. The ripple of suddenly loose skin stayed burned into the air like a photo negative far longer than the explosion of pink misty blood and clumps of hair against the bus. The kid standing next to me dropped into a dead faint, and then there wasn't a single one of us that wasn't screaming. The PSF hit the ground the exact same moment the girl was tackled into the mud. The rain washed the soldier's blood down off the bus windows and yellow panels, stretching the bloated dark lines, drawing them out as they disappeared completely.
It was that fast. The boy was looking only at us. Run! He yelled through his broken teeth. What are you doing? Run! Run! And the first thing that went through my mind wasn't what are you or even why. It was that I have nowhere else to go. You might as well have blown the entire bus up for the panic it caused. Some kids listened and tried to bolt for the fence, only to have their path blocked by a line of soldiers in black that seemed to pour out of the air. Most just stood there and screamed, and screamed, and screamed, the rain falling all around, the mud sucking their feet down firmly in place. A girl knocked me down to the ground with her shoulder as the other PSFs rushed with the boy still standing in the bus doorway. The soldiers were yelling at us to sit on the ground, stay frozen there. I did exactly as I was told. Orange! I heard one of them yell into his walkie-talkie. We have a situation at the main gate. I need restraints for an orange. It wasn't until after they had bounded us back up and had the boy with the broken face on the ground that I dared to look up. And that I began to wonder, could tickling up my spine, if he was the only one who could do something like that, or if everyone around me was there because they too could cause someone to hurt themselves that way too. Not me. The words blazed in my head. Not me. They made a mistake. A mistake. I watched with a feeling of hollowness as the center of my at, at, at the center of my chest as one of the soldiers took a can of spray paint in my hand and painted an enormous orange X over the boy's back. The boy had only stopped yelling because two PSS had pulled a strange black mask down over the lower part of his face, like they were muzzling a dog. Tension beaded on my skin like sweat. We marched our lines through the camp towards the infirmary for sorting. As we walked, we saw kids heading in the opposite direction from a row of pathetic wood cabins. All of them were wearing white uniforms with a different colored X marked on each of their backs and a number written in black above it. I saw, I saw five different colors in all, green, blue, yellow, orange, and red. The kids with the green and blue X's were allowed to walk freely their hands swinging at their sides. Those with a faint yellow X or an orange or red one were forced to fight through the mud with their hands and feet in metal cuffs. A long chain connecting them in a line. The ones marked with orange smears had the muscle-like masks on their faces. We were hurried into the bright lights and dry air of what a torn paper sign had labeled infirmary. The doctors and nurses lined long hallways, watching us with frowns and shaking heads. The checkered tile floor became slick with rain and mud, and it took, it took all my concentration not to slip. My nose was filled with the smell of rubbing alcohol and fake lemon. We filed one by one, up a dark cement staircase at the back of the first floor, which was filled with empty beds and limp white curtains. One 
orange, not a red. I could feel my guts churning deep in the pit of my stomach. I couldn't stop seeing that woman's face right when she pulled the trigger or the mass of her light hair that had landed near my feet. I couldn't stop seeing my mom's face when she had locked me out in the garage. I couldn't stop seeing Graham's face. She'll come, I thought. She'll come. She'll fix mom and dad. She will come to get me. She'll come. She'll come. She, she, she will come. Upstairs, they finally cut the plastic binding that tied our hands and divided us again sending half down to the right end of the freezing hallway and half down to the left. Both sides looked exactly the same. No more than a few closed doors and a small window at the very end. For a moment, I did nothing but watch the rain pelt that tiny, foggy pane of glass. Then the door on the left swung open with a low whine, and the face of a plump, middle-aged man appeared. He cast one look in our direction before whispering something to the PSF at the head of the group. One by one, more doors opened, and more adults appeared. The only thing they had in common, aside from their white coats, was a shared look of suspicion. Without a single word of explanation, the PSFs began pulling and pushing kids towards each white coat and its associated office. The outbursts of confused, distressed noises that erupted from the lines was shushed with a piercing buzzer. I fell back onto my heels, watching the, short, the doors shut one by one, wondering if I would ever see those kids again. What's wrong with us? My head felt like it was full of wet sand as I looked over my shoulder. The boy with a broken face was nowhere, but his memory had chased me all the way through the camp. Did they bring us here because they thought we had Everhart's disease? Did they think we were going to die? How had that boy made the PSF do what she had done? What had he said to her? I felt a hand slide into mine instead I stood there, trembling hard enough for my joints to hurt. The girl, the same one that had pulled me down to the mud outside, gave me a fierce look. Her dark blonde hair was plastered against her skull, framing framing a pink scar that curved between her top lip and nose. Her dark eyes flashed, and when she spoke, I saw that they had cut the wires on her braces, but had left the metal stubs glued to the, her front teeth. Don't be scared, she whispered. Don't let them see. The handwritten label on the tag of her jacket said Samantha. Samantha thought. It stuck up against the back of her neck, like an afterthought. We stood shoulder to shoulder, close enough that our linked fingers were hidden between the fabric of my pajama pants and her purple puffer jacket. He had picked her up on the way to school the same morning they had come for me. That had been a day, a day ago, but I remembered seeing her dark eyes burning bright with hate at the back of the van as they had locked us in. She hadn't screamed as the others had. The kids who had disappeared through the doors now came back through them, clutching gray sweaters and shorts in their hands. Instead of falling back into our line, they were marched downstairs, before anyone could think to get a word or questioning look in. They don't look hurt. I could smell permanent marker and something that might have been rubbing alcohol. 
But no one was bleeding or crying. When it was finally the girl's turn, the PSF at the head of the line forced us apart with a sharp jerk. I wanted to go in with her, to face whatever was behind the door. Anything had to be better than me being alone again without anyone or anything to anchor myself to. My hands were shaking so badly that I had to cross my arms and grip my elbows to get them to stop. I stood at the front of the line, looking at the gleaming span of checkered tile between the PSF's black boots and my mud-splattered toes. I was already tired down to my bones from the restless night before, and the scent of the soldier's boot polish sent my head deeper into a fog. And then they called for me. I found myself in a dimly lit office, half the size of my cramped bedroom at home, with no memory of ever having walked into it. Name? I was looking at a cot and a strange, hollow-shaped gray machine hanging over it. The white coat's face appeared from behind the laptop on the table. He was a frail-looking man, whose thin silver glasses seemed to be in serious danger of sliding off his nose with every quick movement. His was unnaturally high, and he didn't so much as say the word as squeak it. I pressed my back against the closed door, trying to put space between me, the man, and the machine. The white coat, the white coat followed my gaze to the cot. That's a scanner. There's nothing to be afraid of. I must not have looked convinced, because he continued. Have you ever broken a bone or bumped your head? Do you know what a CD scan is? It was the patience in his voice that drew me forward a step. I shook my head. In a minute, I'm going to have you lie down and I'll use that machine to check to make sure your head is alright. But first you need to tell me your name. Make sure your head is alright. How did he know? Your name, he said. All the words taking on a sudden edge. Your name. Ruby, I answered, and had to spell my last name for him. He began typing on the laptop, distracted for a moment. My eyes drifted back over to the machine, wondering how painful it would be for me to have the inside of my head inspected, wondering if he could somehow see what I had done. Damn, they're getting lazy, the white coat growls, more to himself than me. Didn't they pre-classify you? I had no idea what he was talking about. When they picked you up, did they ask you questions? He asked, standing. The room wasn't large by any means. He was by my side in two steps, and I was in a full panic and two heartbeats. Did your parents report your symptoms to the soldiers? Symptoms? I squeezed out. I don't have any symptoms. I, I don't have the... He shook his head, looking more annoyed than anything. Calm down. You're safe here. I'm not going to hurt you. The white coat kept talking, his voice flat, something flickering in his eyes. The lines sounded practiced. There are many different kinds of symptoms, he explained, leaning down to look at me eye to eye. All I could see were his crooked front teeth and the dark circles rimming his eyes. His breath smelled like coffee and spirit. Many different kinds of children. I'm going to take a picture of your brain and it'll help us put you with the others who are like you. I shook my head. I don't have any symptoms. Grams is coming. She is, I swear. She'll tell you. Please. 
Tell me, sweetheart, are you very good at math and puzzles? Twins are incredibly smart and have astonishing memories. My men jumped back to the kids outside, to the colored X's on the back of their shirts. Queen, I thought. What did the other colors mean? Red, blue, yellow, and, and orange. Like the boy with the play mouth. All right, he said, taking a deep breath. Just lie back on that cot and we'll get started. No, please. I didn't move. Thoughts were rushing too quickly to my head. It was a struggle to even look at him. Now, he repeated, moving toward the machine. Don't make me call you, call in one of the soldiers. They won't be nearly as nice, believe me. A screen on this side panel came alive with a single touch. And then the machine itself lit up. At the center of the, of the great circle was a bright white light, blinking as it set itself up for another test. It was breathing out hot air and sputters and whines that seemed to prick every pore on my body. All I could think was, he'll know, he, he'll know what I did to them. My back was flat against the door again, my hand blindly searching for the handle. Every single lecture my dad had ever given me about strangers seemed to be coming true. This was not a safe place. This man was not nice. I was shaking so hard he might have thought I was going to faint. Better he was going to force me onto the cot himself and hold me there until the machine came down and walked over me. I hadn't been ready to put running before, but I was now. As my fingers tightened on the door handle, I felt his hand push through my unruly mass of dark hair and seize the back of my neck. The shock of his freezing hand on my flushed skin made me flinch, but it was the explosion of pain at the base of my skull that made me cry out. He stared at me, unblinking, his eyes suddenly unfocused, but I was seeing everything, impossible things, hands drumming on cars steering wheels, a woman in a black dress leaning forward to kiss me. A baseball flying towards my face, out on a diamond, an endless stretch of green field, my hand running through a little girl's hair, and the images played behind my closed eyes like an old home movie. The shapes of people and objects burned themselves into my retinas and stayed there, floating around behind my eyelids like hungry ghosts. Not mine, my mind screamed. These don't belong to me. How could they have been his, each image? Were they memories? Thoughts? But I saw more. A boy, the same scanner machine above him, flickering and smoking. Yellow. I felt my lips form the words as if I had been there to see them. I saw a small red-haired girl at the table and laptop in front of her rise several inches from the ground. Blue. Now again, the man's voice in my head. A boy holding a pencil between his hands, studying it with a terrifying intensity, the pencil bursting into flames. Red. Cars with pictures and numbers on them held up in front of a child's face. Green. I squeezed my eyes shut, but I couldn't pull back from the images that came next, the lines of marching, muzzled monsters are standing high above looking down through rain-splattered glass. But I saw the handcuffs and the chains. I saw everything. I'm not one of them, please. Please, please. I fell. 
dropping onto my knees, bracing my hands against the tile, trying to keep from being sick all over myself on the floor. The white coat's hands still gripped at the back of my neck. I'm green, I sobbed, her words half lost the machine's buzzing. The lights had been bright before, but not only amplified the pounding behind my eyes, I stared into his blank eyes, willing him to believe me. I'm green, please, please. When I saw my mother's face, the smile of the boy with the broken mouth had given me, like he had recognized something in himself in me. I knew I was. Green. Green. I looked up at the sound of the voice that floated down to me. I stared and he stared right back, his eyes unfocused. He was mumbling something now, his mouth full of mush like he was chewing on the words. I'm green. He said, shaking his head. His voice sounded stronger. I was still on the floor when he went to shut down the machine, and so shocked when he sat back down at the desk that I actually forgot to cry. But it wasn't until he picked up the green spray paint and drew that enormous X over the back of the uniform shirt and handed it to me that I remembered to start breathing. It'll be okay, I told myself. As we walked back down the cold hallway, down the steps, to the girls and men in uniforms waiting for me below. It wasn't until that night, as I lay awake in my bunk, that I realized I would only ever have one chance to run, and I hadn't taken it.